Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Hey, this is Christy. And this is Chloe. And we're so excited that you're joining us today at the table at Fully Yours. We are a podcast about food and the sacred and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. Chloe and I met in graduate school, and from there on out, we've been just in love with food and how it intersects with our daily lives. Um, Today, we are speaking with Tess Tomlinson, who is incredible. We actually interviewed her a couple of months ago, and tonight we are um, making one of her recipes that she sent to us, uh, cilantro mint chutney. At one point, I... I think she talks a little bit about how the Ayurveda cookbook is one of the few cookbooks she has. And she pulls from this cookbook to inspire her. Um, but beyond that, she's really inspired by the foods that she encounters when she's gleaning, when she's on the farm, uh, whatever she brings home. She has this beautiful way of turning these simple, um, profoundly miraculous fruits and vegetables into really substantial and hearty um, forms of nourishment. Yeah. And, and this incredible recipe um, is, it, it was truly an experience to make this. So this cilantro mint chutney, um, knowing what other chutneys look like, I was a little bit, um, I wasn't quite sure what to expect from this particular recipe because the, the recipe itself consists of lemon and cilantro and mint and coconut. There's some ginger in there, some honey. Uh, so it's not, um, I'm used to more like fruit-based chutneys, mm-hmm. uh, but this one was, was quite different and I'm just in love with it. Um, I was telling Chloe <laughs> that I, I might've, uh, sampled some of it earlier and um right now I'm eating it out of a cereal bowl (laughs) I hear you I'm ladling it with a spoon it's amazing it's it's refreshing it's so intense you get so many different flavors at once yeah for sure one of the things that that has been really interesting back when we interviewed Tess I was working at a winery Mm -hmm. and I've since since transitioned um I'm now working in a professional kitchen And it's been wonderful. But the thing that I'm missing is sitting down at a table and actually partaking in food mindfully. Hmm. Um, It's interesting working in food. You'd think that you'd get plenty of that opportunity. But really, I mean, we're cooking meals for other people and we are able to partake in the meals once everyone has been fed, all of the guests have been fed. Um, And when we eat as a staff, we're eating standing up and we lean against mm-hmm. the stainless steel countertops um, and we take bites in between sanitizing down surfaces. We take a bite and then we go and scrape out some pans. We take a bite and then we soak pans. And it's just not a um, it's not a mindful way of partaking in a meal. And. I went to lunch with, with a really great friend just yesterday, and I realized it was the first time I sat down and had mm. a meal and sat across a table with a really great friend for maybe three or four weeks. And I was like, 
wow, this is this is incredible. And and this particular recipe, I was so mindful when I tasted it throughout the process of making it that I was like, wow, this is so bright. This is so good. You you basically you blend the first three ingredients or first um, few ingredients, the lemon, the cilantro and the mint together. And then you add the rest of the ingredients, the coconut, the ginger, the honey, and then a little bit of salt and pepper, and that's it. And it's it's just mm-hmm. so incredibly beautiful. Yeah, and then it's this really vivid, bright green um, from the herbs that you're using. And I actually, I, I didn't have, I forgot to pick up ginger when I went out, um, mm. but I did have, uh, so where I'm living, there's a lot of fruit trees around and we happen to have a lemon tree in our backyard, uh, which is one of the biggest gifts I think ever. <laughs> our lemons yeah, are sure. pretty lumpy and pretty green, but it's still awesome. And so today I used some of the lemons from our yard, which are super tart um, and kind of that brightness that you talk about. And then I also threw in a few jalapenos that are left on my plant from the summer crop. Uh, instead of doing ginger and it's just this really delicious tangy um, sauce that can complement so many things yeah it it really is and and it'll elevate a dish um, in just incredible ways like I would I would put this over eggs Hmm. Um, I would I would actually you could probably toss this with pasta yeah Anyway, we, we love this recipe. So Tess, thank you so much for, for providing this experience for us. And, um, and from here, we will go ahead and transition to our wonderful conversation with Tess. Today, we are sitting with at a literal table today. I'm really excited. Um, we have a wonderful guest today, Tess Tomlinson. Um, who uh, was born and raised in Massachusetts. She moved to New York City for some time and worked in the hospitality industry in restaurants and catering and with weddings. Food was always involved, um, so that's an important part of who she is. Last year, she uh, returned to the Boston area to pursue yoga teacher training. She's also active at several local farms and with the Boston area gleaners. Tess has studied Tibetan Buddhism, is a committed vegan, and is completing a 300-hour yoga teacher training. Tess, we're so excited to have you. Uh, Tess and I were farm crew members together, and I was moved by Tess's kindness and intentionality, which just comes across in your presence, really. I was struck by uh, her simple gestures, like the sweet potato she would bring in a glass container for lunch, or her enjoyment of secondhand goods, and her abundant creativity and ability to bring forth the farm stand's beauty in a way in the way she would arrange the fruits and vegetables for market. I remember once remarking that the bustle of New York City must have been super overwhelming to be around. Um, You kind of hear that story a lot. And in response, I just remember her looking at me and saying with a quiet seriousness that she had met some of the kindest people in the city. And again, I think that just says a lot about Tess. Yeah, we're very grateful uh, to have you here with us today. Thank you very much for having me. This is very special. Tess, I was hoping we might start off our conversation today by hearing a little more of your own journey and and process into this world of food. 
when I first met you, you seemed to be in a moment of a lot of transition and exciting potential. Um, you had just moved home to Massachusetts after several years in New York City, as we mentioned, and uh, was working at a farm, had just begun a yoga teacher training. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to that moment? Um, yeah, what was the path that brought you back to Massachusetts and into this work so deeply embedded in food and the body? Um, sure. So I think in in New York, um, in New York State, before I lived in the city, I lived upstate for a while and um, there met some people who are like my family now, good friends, um, who introduced me to the farm-to-table movement, um, for lack of a better phrase, uh, and that was about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so they sort of started helping me to understand that the food that we ate, they, it was a restaurant family, it is a restaurant family, um, they, they sourced from local farmers up there and um, just it, it seemed at that point to me almost uh, like a novelty and I think they were rather ahead of their time um, but they were sourcing from local farms and using produce that just tasted better um, so I was still connected with that family and when I moved to New York I was inspired by that and searched for work that um, lined up with that mentality so I worked in a farm-to-table restaurant and I worked at a farmer's market and I kept on looking for opportunities like that in New York and got pretty deeply involved in that side of things in the the retail um, and in in restaurants um, in serving people this food and seeing the way that people reacted to food that was um, grown differently and grown with care and um, mm -hmm. I think that absolutely comes through in the food and I know that when I had opportunities to meet farmers who were growing the food or raising the animals because I was not at that point a committed vegan um, I I could taste the difference and people talked about that all the time and I loved that and yet by the time I got to Massachusetts last year things had changed in my life I've gotten older I um, I think I just didn't want to be in a restaurant setting anymore I didn't want to be indoors necessarily um, and quite in the dining setting in that way all the time anymore so I looked to the other side of things and that's when I um, went out on a gleaning a volunteer gleaning trip with my dad and uh, that's when I answered the ad for neighborhood farm where I met Chloe and so it's um, it's been something that yeah, has, as you say, been a part of my life for a long time. And I just, I just had been missing this kind of side of things. And so I'm here now. <laughs> Another part of you that's, that's hugely 
influential in, in the work that you do is also your commitment to Buddhism. Um, Chloe and I both come from Christian backgrounds, so we're not as familiar with Buddhism as we would like to be. So could you just describe to us sort of your connection to the earth and your connection to Tibetan Buddhism? Uh, yes, I I think the way that it's manifest in the farm work is, as you say, um, in the earth. It's um, having my hands in the earth. I, um, I have a meditation practice that's rooted in Tibetan Buddhism. Um, it's also, um, there are also parts of Zen Buddhism. It's a without going into the specifics of it, um, and, and I, the other component is a somatic meditation practice. Um, so those three sort of qualifiers are on the, the practice that I do most frequently, but that's all to say um, in my seated meditation practice, I want to feel my body and its relationship to the earth and um, to experience that energy, and that's um, what's going on for me when I'm practicing meditation and um, and I started practicing that way in New York and as many people will tell you it's an interesting experience to do that there because I was on the fifth floor of a building and so mm. my seat was not on the <laughs> earth it was um, quite far from it and there was a lot of commotion everywhere a lot of noise um, and so so I think what has been more apparent, um, or I think what's been interesting, I guess, is that with fewer um, things to be agitating, uh, fewer noises, um, and more connection with the earth um, out in the field and in this line of work, it's almost more on me to, I, I almost have a, a harder time sometimes really connecting because um, because my circumstances are a little bit easier now. Uh, I was in more of a struggle in New York, um, and there was you know, more stimulation all around, so that the, the sort of concentration aspect of the practice was um, mm. a little bit different. But I, I don't know exactly how to sort of say in a nutshell all of the things that relate, um, except to say that there's a... I was thinking about this on the way here um, about some people call it sort of like a universal unconscious or um, call it a lot of things, Buddha nature perhaps. Um, but I think of it as sort of an aggregate of wisdom that is inside of me and has been supporting me all along. And it's maybe subconscious that's maybe another way to talk about it um and I'd be interested in knowing how you both relate with that concept um as far as your Christian background um but it's it's definitely something that has has given me momentum and so I think that all of the kind of the lines that I followed in in life that I was aware of that have taken me to this point there's also been some kind of undercurrent that has gotten me here. And so sometimes I'm surprised when things really do line up um, that it turns out that when I think about what my values are today, they're the same as the gleaners whom I'm working with. And I, I, I did that 
I got myself here, but um, sometimes it's easy to forget that I was actively a participant in doing that. You know, sometimes it seems like life is very random, and um, and so I think all of that is going on in my head sometimes when I'm out in the field, and um, and it's certainly a part of what I think about when I think about this work that I'm doing now, which is getting food off of the field into the mouths of people who are food insecure. Um, that phrase, aggregate of wisdom, oh, mm-hmm. I just I think that's <laughs> going to stick with me for a mm-hmm. long time. Um, from my personal perspective of being a Protestant, um, I get the sense of like divinity being... Um, I, I truly believe this is going to sound really cosmic, but like I truly believe that we're all stardust and that we're all connected through this common um, nature of being born out of the stars. And so I feel like we have this sort of divinity and aggregate of wisdom, whatever tradition we come from. I just feel like we're all connected in that way. Chloe, I don't know if, if you have a similar or different feeling, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Um, Christy and I have a, a song that Christy introduced to me that we love that talks about that. And I I think that's resonated with us both so deeply um, and ties into this conversation about um, earthiness or, or yeah, recognizing our, uh, our participation in the natural world, which we're so often pulled away from. Um, There's also a a phrase and this actually comes out of, uh, well, let's see if I can say it correctly, because Christy, I think this comes more out of your specific tradition, <laughs> but, um, and you you hear it a lot in the Catholic tradition too, but um, is it, in the Catholic tradition, it's the communion of saints? Christy, what is the, the Methodist um, expression? No, I the think The cloud of believers? Yeah, the cloud of witnesses, cloud communion, of witnesses. Yeah, yeah, communion of the saints. That's a yeah. pretty widespread phrase for yeah, um, yeah, right. And I, I think um, maybe in their original context, they were specifically referring to like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me personally, when I when I take those expressions in kind of this wider sense, I think there's such beauty and power to that. Um, just that humans have walked before us or, or journeyed before us, um, that we're not alone in this. Um, and you could expand that to, to the other creatures that are, that are here with us. So, um, that there is that, that wisdom and that experience and that practice that has come before us and that will come in the future. And, um, yeah, I think it's really powerful. Um, and I don't know if that connects at all to aggregate wisdom in my own imagination that, that there seems to be a link there. Um, but yeah, what a powerful phrase. That's really, uh, really an important phrase to us. It feels like it certainly does. And I think one thing that is an offshoot of that for me is then a sense of responsibility to participate mm-hmm. in that. And to, <laughs> as you say, you know, this is then ongoing. <laughs> the future is also defined by how we are. Um, relating with that wisdom and so you know taking care of the earth that we're plucking food from and you know taking care of those people who are around us um, who need our help those kinds of things then I think are easier to write I have an easier time you know 
I realizing that I need to do things differently or you know yes the sense of responsibility and responsiveness um in your so in the spiritual practice that you you just described I mean the very uh literal spiritual practice of of meditation and also uh, perhaps I'm not sure if you would define it this way but the maybe the spiritual practice of gleaning or of farming um, of as you said serving food to people that's been grown in a different way Um, yeah I would love to know more about how that bridges for you and, and also bring into the conversation a little bit about your yoga practice um, and now teaching yoga. So it sounds like responsibility is, is one very concrete bridge between these many different forms of expression. I think there are um, two not necessarily distinct ways that I think about this. Um, One is on an individual level, and I think this is the part that if I can sort of figure out for myself and figure out, it's a big way, you know, big (laughs) figure out, it's never really going to happen. But if I can sort of address some of these things on an individual level, then maybe I can translate that knowledge to be of help to other people. Um, And that that's um, relates for me to some of the aspects of farming and gleaning that are hard physical work and quiet and uh, shared shared labor and um, kind of a feeling of um, I want to say consistency but sort of um, of responsibility of of um, getting involved in a project and sticking to it um all of all of that i think that all of those kinds of things have um so much work within them um it's it's such a journey for me to have you know a six hour day ahead of me like so much work is done inside me uh, thinking wise and inside my body um to get through a day like that and Mm. I think that's a healing practice. Um, you know, it it is helpful to me on an emotional level to make myself stick to work for this many hours. It's helpful to me on an intellectual level to understand that this work will end today, um, and and that my suffering will increase if I argue against that or if I sort of mm-hmm. you know, keep thinking about the end. Um, so, like there are some exercises in there that I do um, and 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 having just quiet around and being involved, engaged with work with other people, um, I think that those are all sort of on an individual level really healing practices and um, and I think that that's where it's harnessed with yoga for me um, is really I think on the individual level, although maybe in a few minutes we'll discover other things but um in the same way yoga is is that's what yoga is i think is a a way of descending into quiet space and exploring what's going on with yourself and so to the extent that i can 
teach yoga um, that I can help other people to have that kind of experience with their own bodies and minds um, that will feel good to me and and if I can be on a team with other workers uh, and engage with them in a way that's productive and kind and um, you know aligned and quiet um, that will feel good to me so that's the that's one prong and I think the other is then much more social and you know about relationships with people and um, and the times when it's noisy and chaotic but it's um, it's a food system that's that's pretty broken and a lot of people are trying to pay play catch up um, in a lot of different venues and mm. we're just doing our small part to to re redistribute food that exists um, because it's gotten lost in the shuffle and I think yeah mm. just saying that out loud <laughs> makes me think about you know all of the people and all of the systems or all of the things and all of the systems that get lost in the shuffle and that's a lot to think about but um yeah so I think I think I'm saying um a lot but those those two prongs I think they're both um really important and I can I can speak more intelligently sometimes or I can sort of identify more sometimes with one or the other sometimes it's it really is all about me or it really is all about, you know, helping on the healing level or, um, and other times I feel like I'm looking out more and I'm, I'm involved in something that's big and involves a lot of machinery and, um, it's, it's somewhat harder, (laughs) less easy to, um, you know, sort of, think about figuring out uh, yeah but that common thread of healing and both prongs um, I love how you say healing in your own practice staying with the work sustaining for the sake then also of, of teaching that or sharing that with others and then how we need that healing in, in our systems in the shuffle um, and what's being lost and how that is so overwhelming and how do we stay with that work? Yeah. And I get the sense that you're very committed to everything that you do from the relationships that you have to not only to people, but to the earth. I mean, your journey has been long and, and wide and fruitful in a lot of different ways. Um, pun, (laughs) I, I, am always going to slip a pun in there. It's always going to happen. Um, but, uh, I mean, from upstate New York, from Boston to upstate New York to uh, the city to back to Boston, um, where do you see yourself in the next several years? I mean, what do you hope for the future, not only here within this region, but globally, what sort of work do you hope to be involved in in the coming years? Um, That's a big question. I've had, you know, I've had kind of visions of having like a a yoga retreat where people can also do farm, you know, where we keep gardens of vegetables and produce and all this. And um, I think the more 
I actually do this work. I, I think that it's important to, it's not necessarily important for me to branch off onto my own kind of ego project and, um, to help the, mm. the really well-functioning, uh, projects that are already here. Um, and so on a yoga level, one of those that I've, um, gotten involved with, especially over the winter, um, uh, it's a, the trauma center it's in Brookline and it's an organization that teaches, um, yoga teachers to, uh, teach in a sensitive way, those who have suffered from trauma on their lives. And, um, I went to a long training on that and I, I think that I, you know, I want to start to teach and incorporate, I already have incorporated a lot of what I learned into my teaching, um, that's for a whole nother day. But, um, so I, I think I want to sort of keep teaching and, and start to really try to teach in the area that I'm living in rather than, you know, it's, it's definitely a, maybe an old kind of, um, defense of mine to imagine a retreat, you know, out, being out and away from everyone but I think mm. that's maybe more what I'm coming to is that there's there's more to be done when you're in community with people um there's more that I can do uh as a member of a group um and then in a farming way you know the the, the gleaning organization is is high functioning um to the extent that they have the funds and the staff and um and we all need to really take care of ourselves so that that organization can be sustainable. Um, so we're doing some, we're going to start every Friday and Sunday morning with yoga class, <laughs> um, before mm. we go and, um, move boxes around and, and harvest. <laughs> um, so that's exciting. So geographically, I don't know what that means. I was up in Lawrence, Massachusetts yesterday and, um, was taken with how different it is from um, right outside of Boston where I'm living right now in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. how it reminded me of Brooklyn. It was a really vibrant society up there. But I really don't know geographically. I just know that I'm at, in this very moment right now uh, thinking that there is there is benefit to being in community with people and that maybe this isn't, maybe I, I, um, I'm going to challenge myself to stick around for a while, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and to, and to, yeah, become, to join uh, other people. You talk about community, community so beautifully and, um, that is such a challenge in, in today's world um, to claim that responsibility that you mentioned earlier for a place or for um, a neighborhood or people. Um, there's such mobility and uh, kind of an expectation for movement uh, for a lot of our fast-moving world. Um, I guess I would be really interested in knowing, has 
have there been who who maybe have been the teachers or the mentors or the communities in your life who have sort of come up alongside you um and how how are those teachings sort of shaping the hopes that you're describing for for the community that you're in now so the i'll mention a couple of names of um Uh, Buddhist authors and people I've I know of on paper who I've not met in person but who have been truly impactful one of um, one of the people's names is Pema Chodron um, I think a lot of people may be familiar with her work uh, Chogum Trumpa Rinpoche is another person who died uh, just after I was born um, again I didn't meet him but his work has been hugely impactful um and then another person who is still alive um and uh with whom or so he is named reggie ray um and he has an organization called dharma ocean and that is the organization that i'm affiliated with on for meditation and his um teachings on the somatic aspect of these practices um really informed what I do um so those those three people um and then you know there's a community of people the Dharma Ocean community that I have um more in common with than when I met them I when I started talking with people I guess from that community I just felt at home so that's mm-hmm. where I feel oriented uh spiritually or in that way um and then I've had some incredible yoga teachers here in Boston um one woman in New York uh, was, uh, whom I miss a lot um but then uh, Natasha Rosopoulos is here in Boston and um some Iyengar teachers I there are a lot of people right now um who are really really wonderful um i think friends and family and strangers uh and accidents and mm-hmm. like hardships and everything has been uh, incredibly helpful teaching wise <laughs> um <laughs> and that's i think i i hope or sort of challenge myself to let that be the case forever because i don't mm. I like to learn um, Kate and Jude from the neighborhood Mm. farm. (laughs) I mean, I think I feel sometimes a little bit like too enamored of almost everybody I meet. Um, (laughs) But I think that there's just, there's so much good in people. And that's, that's, that's how I, how I like to learn. And um, Hmm almost an openness to finding the teachers around us on a, on a daily basis or a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that test that like seeing the good in every human and every creature that you encounter is just, it's really refreshing. <laughs> um, I feel like I need to spend more time with, with people like you. Um, it's, it can be really hard sometimes. Um, 
And in your line of work as well, um, just knowing the facts and the numbers of, of how many people are food insecure in the Boston area and the amazing work that the Boston area gleaners do, um, you know, how do you, you, you recognize a need that needs to be met, but at the same time, you're looking at both communal healing and individual healing. How do you sustain yourself? Like knowing everything that needs to happen, um, within your Buddhist and yoga perspective, um, how do you, how do you find that healing for yourself and, and how do you sustain the work that you do? It's, it's hard and, um, it's not perfect all the time. Um, I, let's see, I think I, I am a vegan. I eat as many, um, locally sourced, ideally, you know, sourced by me, um, plants uh as i can um and um so i try to to eat healthily and i i think that that's a huge huge factor and i um i think some of the habits that i was in when i was younger like drinking and smoking uh, are certainly not helpful anymore and i'm grateful that i was able to um stop doing those things and um grateful every day that I get to stop doing those things or that I have stopped doing those things um yoga and meditation practice I'm spending a lot of time with my family right now and I'm having really a sort of I think I'm having an interesting experience right now of getting to talk with um, with people who weren't necessarily on my radar a few years ago. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm just getting to know a lot of new people and that is sustaining in itself. Um, I don't know what that, I, I was thinking again on the way here about the four reminders, which is, um, a Buddhist teaching within, within the teachings in Buddhism that are specifically about um, about the individual. Um, so some early teachings were in the idea is that, that in order to be of benefit to others, we must be sort of healing ourselves. So within that body of teachings, um, there are four reminders, and I, I think those are pretty not to say that I, you know, actively think about them all the time and do my good work as a proper Buddhist and, you know, meditate on these with frequency, but um, when they cross my mind, it's really good. <laughs> um, and so one of them is the reminder of precious human birth. That, And so the way that I translate that now is as uh, it's a huge privilege that I um, am... I have access to teachings that I have the ability to be here with you guys today um, and to be able to do this work. So I keep, that's a good reminder. It's pretty self-explanatory. Impermanence is the second reminder that at any point all of this could end. Um, and, you know, on a big level, that's there's truth to that, obviously. And then on small level, um, you know, I think it's... A, 
in a in a really sort of trite way it's effective in the field when you know you're sort of thinking like okay I've got seven more hours of this I don't know how I'm going to do it Mm -hmm. you know that every state that we're in whether pleasurable or painful is has an end it will um time time keeps on going until it doesn't anymore and so you know playing with that concept is helpful um the third reminder is that karma is real and again I don't you know, there are a lot of connotations to that that um, are worth so much more conversation, but the way that I think about it in like a really practical parse down sense is that every action has a reaction, that everything that I do affects other people, and to think about what changes will occur for other people if I do this, um, that's that is a helpful thing to keep me going, I think, um, especially within the context of my family sometimes. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the fourth reminder is that suffering is real, that that we'll never be able to avoid pain um, completely, that it's sort of wishful thinking to imagine that one day everything will be good. Um, That, and so, Again, as far as those two prongs are concerned, I mean, I need to keep that in mind for myself, that that it's not helpful to just imagine that I'll be through whatever period of, you know, strife I'm in at the moment, and then everything will be okay. It, it must sort of focus on right now. It's also important to think about that as far as um, how it relates to other people, that uh, people all around me are suffering. Every one of us is... is um, in our own bind and um, and learning all the time and struggling up against or sort of like butting up against that struggle to some extent or another and and so to be aware of that happening in other people is I think a, a good way of of listening more and being more attuned and and all of that together I think is. I think just basically like fosters kindness and, and that is maybe the most sustaining thing <laughs> as far mm-hmm. as keeping myself together is, is being kind to myself. Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned, um, being kind to yourself and being kind to others is we need more of that. <laughs> um, you, when you first got here, you kind of, you, you mentioned that you had a really great lunch (laughs) (laughs) and, um, that's one of the ways that we can be kind to ourselves. Um, I love listening to Michael Pollan. I love reading his books. And one of the things that he says all the time is, look, don't eat it if you don't want to cook it. So cook it and then you'll actually eat it and enjoy it. So what did you have for lunch today? Um, I, I had, I sauteed um, zucchini that I uh, I gleaned last weekend uh, at a farm um, up north, and I sauteed it with uh, tofu and some kelp noodles, actually, um, which was mm-hmm. really delicious, and a little bit of coconut oil and a little bit of vinegar. Uh, yeah, and the whole thing was delicious. <laughs> mm. <laughs> And I was proud to 
make it today because I knew that they would ask me what I ate for breakfast. <laughs> um, so it was, it was, yeah. Yeah. We have a little I bit was, of a, a running joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were having some technical issues and, and have attempted this interview several times and our main, um, mic check story is, is breakfast. Um, and so <laughs> today we mixed it up. You mixed it up with lunch, which yeah, lunch. sounds delicious and so nourishing. <laughs> yeah. Tess, as we wrap up today, um, you've left a lot for our listeners to, to chew on, to think about. Um, for, for people who may have been inspired by your story, who maybe are seeking out how to integrate food and environmental justice and spirituality, community, suffering, all of those themes that you spoke to um, within their own context. Are there maybe a couple of words that you would like to share with them? I think, you know, on a big level, maybe just thinking about that question, how is what I'm doing changing my circumstances and those of the people around me and um, following whatever leads the answers to that question may provide. Um, but on a specific level, I think there are some gleaning organizations in some states. Um, I know I just recently found out that there's, there's some in Colorado and California, and I'm sure that there are in a lot of other communities that I don't know about. I don't know mm. everything there is to know about that. But I, there are food pantries in a lot of places, um, and I I think just going and inquiring at, at food pantries or food banks or um, if your town doesn't have one of those things, um, you're asking how to get involved and then finding out if you taking a look around you if you go into a food bank, um, noticing whether the bulk of the items are processed and filled with sugar, uh, perhaps you could um, then take that next step, which would be to you know, go to a local farm and ask them if you can take a van load of their extra produce out of there every week. And I think um, what we find certainly is that farmers are extremely grateful for that, that it's like totally overwhelming to look at a cooler full of last week's produce that hasn't sold yet and um, know that you need to get this week's produce out of the ground and that just, it starts to back things up. And um, so, so yeah, I think, I think getting, getting to the the places that are the distributors of food and finding out what needs they have, I think maybe is, is huge. It would be helpful. Mm. It's the distribution part that seems really tricky. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yep. And that temporality of, of produce of, of so Mm -hmm. much food. Yeah. Yes. And when the alternative is so you know, tempting, especially to children, um, you know, colorful and sugary and mm-hmm. shelf mm-hmm. <laughs> friendly, <Shelf-stable>. yep. <laughs> shelf stable. That's the <laughs> yes. word. Um, yeah. It's maybe a struggle, or you know, it's it's. Yeah. So you might have to convince some people, but but I think they're the guy who started our organization. Um, he started doing it by himself. I know that there, we worked with a woman named Lisa who, um, 
she just on her own has a station wagon and goes to grocery stores like Whole Foods um, every week and brings some of their you know, nearly expired things to um, shelters and so it can it can be done um, with with minimal amount of effort. There's a lot of waste in restaurants too. I know a man in Colorado who um, he goes to the kitchens of um, of there's this one place in Colorado called Crestone where there are a lot of retreat centers and other spiritual houses um it's just this one town that's really magical like that but he goes to all of their kitchens um nightly and takes what they haven't used and brings it especially he his one of his main things is to take it to homebound people so he he can um that's what the need is there um so it'll vary by you know your Mm. community but Hmm. Just start talking to people <laughs> who are already in it because they have the most information. Mm. Thank you so much, Tess. This is this has been really great. This is our first in-person interview that we've done. And I I really want to do more of these. This is really great to have you sitting at the table and, and sharing with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, For more information about the Boston Area Gleaners, you can visit their website at bostonareagleaners.org. And thank you to you, Tessa, for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for listening. Until next time, we are fully yours. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us at the table. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think by leaving a rating on iTunes Or if you have show ideas, comments, or just want to reach us directly, send us an email at fully.yours.podcast at gmail.com. For today's show notes, our blog, and more, be sure to check us out at fullyyourspodcast.com. Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for their generous grant funding of this podcast. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford Martin for producing the original song featured in this podcast. Also to Melody for our gorgeous logo design and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Until next time, we are fully yours.